Welcome to the Kershaw Partners Podcast, An Eventful Life. In this series, we will dive into the events industry through the eyes of Mike Kershaw, his partners, and the owners and founders of event businesses up and down the UK. From event management, to catering, to venues, to structures, to exhibitions, and much, much more, they have seen it all and want to share their experiences with you and maybe impart a bit of knowledge along the way. Of course, there have been some bumps in the road, but that's what makes the event world fun. My name is David Watt. I will be your host. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of An Eventful Life. It's great to have your company once again. This week, I am joined by a true legend of the event industry, the CEO of AOK Events, uh, Alex Hewitt. Alex, fantastic to have you here. Thank you very much for accepting our invitation. Um, So I've been just having a little look back through your history within the events industry. And actually, you didn't begin your career in events, did you? You actually were the youngest landlord in the Surrey area. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, that is right, actually. I... uh managed to leave uh, my school with no A-levels whatsoever. Um, the first boy to do so. Um, Impressive. Tried to, thank you very much indeed. Um, I, I, I was, my parents were not that pleased, as you can imagine. Um, I tried the city and it, it just didn't really work for me. And a friend of mine was working in a pub uh, quite close to Gatwick Airport called the Fox Revived. And within three months of starting there, miraculously, I'd become the landlord through an extraordinary series of events. Um, How long did you do that for? I did it for three years and actually loved it. It was like being given the keys to a very grown up sweet shop. I lived upstairs. Uh, Two of my best mates uh, became my uh, assistant managers, worked 80 hours uh, a week, uh, very willingly. Um, Went to Crawley Catering College every Wednesday and learned how to cook. And did a wine and beer course uh, on a Sunday afternoon as well. And um, my objective, just like every landlord's objective, really, is to make sure that everybody that walked in, whether it was the local farmer who wanted a half a cider or the Jaguar salesman who wanted, you know, skate and chips plus a bottle of Pui Fume, all left in a slightly better mood than they'd arrived. And it was the it was my university, really. Yeah, and I guess it's funny enough, a, a probably a very good training for the for the customer services you need within within the events industry i guess yeah and i mean i had to manage a team of 30 people which was quite hard being the fact that i was the youngest uh, of all of them and nearly all of them were opposed to my appointment so there were some challenges there probably my first real experience of of leadership um and then yeah just a hugely varied group of people unlike events You've got no idea who's coming in, who's walking into your pub every day. So, um, you know, how how do you deal with having to throw out Alex Hurricane Higgins from your pub on a busy Saturday night versus delighting the Women's Institute who are coming in for their annual Christmas party? Yeah, I can imagine. Wow. Um, and I, and I, I, know, I know you said it because I looked on your LinkedIn profile. You said that the thing that taught you more than anything else was was a was man management and how, and how to be a leader of people, which presumably at that age, which I'm guessing you were 22, 23 years old? Uh, no, I was, I didn't go to uni. I was, I was 18 when I wow. went to the pub and I was, I was, um, I can still remember the magistrate at Crawley Magistrates Court saying, I can't believe I'm going to give you a license, Mr. Hewitt, and you're going to become the youngest landlord in the South of England. 
Um, so I was, it was February uh, 1989, so I was, I was just, just 19 uh, years old. So the, I think the, 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 the sort of leadership skill or communication skill maybe that I learned earliest, I think advised by my dad, was just to be honest. Um, and I didn't, pretend, I didn't pretend to know everything. In fact, lots more people knew more than me. So I was very open and transparent about stuff that I didn't know. Um, but I was confident enough in my own ability to make decisions about the stuff that I felt that I, you know, that, that I did know about. And, 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 and hopefully still, you know, 30 odd years later, uh, I'm, I'm the same sort of leader in that aspect. And so you, you jump from there into expertise. Why didn't you go to another pub? Or, um, why, why did you suddenly think, oh, I'll tell you what, events seems like a good idea. Um, well, I think after three years, I was borderline alcoholic, um, smoked too much and lived a pretty bacchanalian lifestyle. Um, and I just didn't want to be a land boozing landlord for the rest of my life. Uh, whilst being a landlord, I still played some pretty competitive cricket for sort of Sussex second 11 and then playing in the Surrey Championship for Isha. Um, and, and sport still uh, you know, kind of held a fascination for me. And the company that I worked for, their lease was coming to an end. So I kind of made the decision that I wasn't, even though the new company that were taking the pub on had offered me the role, I thought it was a good time to, to, to leave and to do something else. And it was actually one of my regulars, a very nice guy uh, called Nick Bender, who, who, who went into the events industry, became a you know, very successful, uh, you know, businessman, uh, probably best known for his work at Maritz. Um, he told me all about corporate hospitality and the kind of everything that I'd learned about being a publican around food and drink and customer service, married with my love of playing sport. So good cricketer, reasonable golfer, loved football, rugby, season ticket holder at Chelsea, etc., etc. Suddenly that was right, that, that's what I want to do next. And this chap, Nick, ran a division of Thomas Cook um, called Thomas Cook Performance Management, no, no longer exists, um, that specialised in conferences and incentive travel. And he was brave enough to, to give me a job selling corporate hospitality, even though that I'd never done it before. Um, and um, said, well, come on, I'll give you a job. I think my first salary from him was eight and a half thousand pounds a year. Uh, in 1992, uh, a tiny desk with a telephone and a Rolodex, pre-website and email, obviously. Um, and it, one of my other regulars uh, at, uh, at, at, at the pub happened to be the European head of events um, of a very large American IT firm. Um, and I persuaded uh, her to book all of her corporate hospitality for me. And there, IBM, sorry, IBM's first booking uh, was a marquee of 50 people for all four, all four days at the Open in 1993. Wow. And my, my new boss thought I was an absolute hero. Um, and actually, it, was, uh, it wasn't a fluke because, you know, I, I was, you know, a personable guy that offered an official hospitality product at the right price. And she trusted me enough to, to buy it through me. And that was kind of how I got started. I think that's such a lesson learned, isn't it? Is is you never know who your next, you know, who your client's going to be, and therefore your background in the pub actually probably was 
an incredibly good grounding in how to speak to people, whether they be old, young, rich, poor, whatever. Absolutely. And without making this all about my dear dad, um, you know, another piece of advice he gave me is you cannot have too many friends in life. And, and, and you really can't, you know, if you're, you know, an adage is, you know, if you always treat people the way you want to be treated yourself, you know, I think that as you go through life, particularly when you run your own business, um, people respect that. And if you treat people well and look after them, then they'll tend to use you in return. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, AOK arrived in 2000, 2000, 1999, 2000? Uh, 2000, yeah. Um, was, uh, that, was it, I mean, OK, I, I guess you were kind of your own boss at, uh, at the pub, but did you always want to set out to run your own business or was that just something that, that kind of evolved from expertise? I think I went from Thomas Cook to expertise, set up an events department uh, at, at expertise, and we had a, a reasonably successful kind of hospitality brokerage and we employed six or seven people um, one of whom Joe Greenstock uh, brilliant person still works uh, with me now um, and uh, I've maybe just become a little bit frustrated with making an awful lot of money for someone else and not 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 um, uh, benefiting as much as I thought I should benefit personally myself and I got married uh, or was sorry, was engaged to be married in 2000. Uh, my lovely wife, Annabelle, had a great job uh, in advertising. And actually, it was uh, she who said, do you know what? We're, we're going to get married at the end of this year. I got a pretty good salary. Hopefully, we're going to have some kids at some stage in the future. If you're going to leave and start up your own business, you know, now's the time to do it. So that was at the start of 2000. A great wife. Uh, yeah, no, uh, uh, and, and she still is. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so I handed my notice in. I had to, to kind of, you know, do three months notice or whatever, but we started with uh, Joe Greenstock and another uh, boy, Simon Hanbury, who, uh, who I think you know, uh, in, in, June, uh, in, in June 2000. Um, and, and, and the most... Um, the most heartwarming thing that happened was that on our first day when we turned into our it turned up at our tiny offices in Hammersmith I mean tiny um there were a number of good luck cards uh waiting for us so one of the clients I will name check um and that was that the head of events from Investec um uh had a there was a good luck card to the three of us there saying that she'd saved up their events for a couple of weeks and then when we got our feet under the table to give her a call and they were able to book you know a number of their events with us at our new company wow. as opposed to at our old company and, and and we just got off to an absolute flying start and I, I, I completely goes back to you cannot not you can't have too many friends you know you're obviously no. very good at very good at, at making relationships work Make relationships work. And I think as, as an adage, as an event organiser, you know, I've always thought that any booking, whether it's two people going to Wimbledon or a thousand people going to a Christmas party or a conference, if you treat every event as if it's the most important event in the world, then you'll, you, you, you tend to get great feedback from people that feel genuinely valued and that you've gone the extra mile to make sure that they've had the best possible time um, and, and we've never we've never really and we've had a few upsets along the way just like we all have um, but we've but we've never let anyone we've never let anyone down deliberately um we we discussed this a lot and um, particularly in the last uh, year once we as, as commercial partners has has sort of got going more and more and more uh, that 
so many business owners that we come across within the industry have set up a business because they're very good at what they're doing, which is exactly what you said. You were making lots of money for someone else and you thought, well, actually, why don't I make it for, for me? And obviously there is a massive difference between taking a paycheck every week and, and doing it for someone else and doing it yourself. When you, when you set out, did you, have a, did you have a goal, a plan, a vision that you wanted to, su to succeed at? Or was it just like, let's see what, that ha what happens and go from there? No, that's a, that's a really good question, actually. I think for the first 10 years of uh, AOK Ventures' existence, we were a lifestyle business. Um, we uh, as, as so many are as so many yeah are. and 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 very happily um we we were profitable we had fun um there was an absolute lack of direction clarity of thought we lived hand to mouth day by day spent most tuesday wednesday and thursday nights brainstorming in the pub you know about what we were doing the following week there was no business plan but it was great it was great fun because i was doing it with my friends and and, and people that that we really um you know enjoyed working with you know we had to navigate 9 11 um which was pretty you know hard to get past uh, after only one year of, of setting up and then of course there was the recession you know, in, in 2008, you know, where also the phones were a little bit quiet, we were lucky in that we had a couple of really big mobile phone companies as clients. And um, that both of those events, um, you know, were, were great for mobile phone companies because people had to kind of have mobile phones in order to keep in contact, you know, with people, you know. Um, so they, they kind of kept us, you know, alive and, and chugging. And actually, I had a, a age 40 in 2010, um, had a bit of a midlife, not a crisis at all, an epiphany. And I decided that I wanted to have a real go at turning AOK events into the biggest and best event management company I could make it be in London. And over the course of the next two years, um, we um, started using the services of two excellent non-exec directors. One, uh, Giles Tuzzi, ex-business partner of yours, uh, and then MD at IMG Hospitality, um, who still works with me now and is a huge asset to the business. And then the second was, uh, was Mike Kershaw, uh, who obviously, you know, uh, eponymously uh, Kershaw Partners um, founder, and whilst Giles's role was to create some processes to make AOK events more strategic and forward thinking, Mike was brought some turbo rockets to the business around growth. And over the course of a three or four year period, you know, we acquired three businesses, um, Cavendish uh, Consulting, Mellon, uh, or uh, party business, the very well-known Christmas party business, um, and we find venues in our pursuit of trying to be an event company with a turnover of kind of £20 million plus that would put us in the kind of top echelon um, of, of event companies. In the UK, um, and it was yeah. so playing with the big boys. Yeah, and, and, that, that was also, and that was also great fun and only really came to an end you know, when COVID hit, 
you know, last year and suddenly having 45 people on a payroll um, and no inquiries and no money coming in, coming in was a problem. So, you know, we, we had to, you know, we had to, you know, cut back and, and recut our cloth accordingly yeah. and, re, and reinvent ourselves. And, you know, now that we employ 20 people rather than, you know, 45 odd people, we're probably, we're, an, we're not a lifestyle business again, but I'd be surprised if we, you know, we employed that, that number of full-time staff again for, you know, for a good period of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's like all these things, isn't it? You, you're going along and you must have been going great guns. So sort of post-Olympics, really up until last year, I guess, you know, you just keep on, keeping on growing. You know, I've obviously spoken to Mike and to Giles about it. And clearly, you know, Giles is Mr. Process. He always was. Even even going back to Creative Breaks days in, yeah. what was it, 1996, we set up. Um, you know, he was, he was dedicated <laughs> to process. So he's, he's very, very good at that. And Mike is very good at growing the business. So it, it must have been fascinating for you to get to a point where you've got all these people working for you. And then COVID comes along and it goes right where you, well, you can't have all those people working for you anymore because the business has completely changed. That must, it must have been awful from a personal perspective, wasn't it? Well, it is when you run your company a little bit, a bit like a family, you know, your, your staff become your work family, effectively, and having to make 30 odd people redundant was, was terrible because none of them deserved to be made redundant and, and uh, you know we tried really hard after making these redundancies in, in June last year to help as many of them find new jobs you know as possible and that kind of helped uh, and, and, and by August September pretty much everyone had found a new job so that was great and that coincided with having kind of pivoted the business into virtual you know and digital event solutions by Q3 and Q4 last year we were kind of off and running and, and, and we had made that change, I think, you know, without being too big headed, a lot quicker than a number of our competitors I in the events right. industry. And, 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 you know, we, we ended, you know, we ended up having the best ever Christmas season we'd had in 20 years last year. Which is crazy Even, considering everything. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. you know, we had one evening, I mean, a Thursday night where we, we ran 50 Christmas parties you know, on, on, on one evening, which you could do virtually. Um, you could never do that live unless you employ dozens and dozens of, of, of freelancers. And we found a way. And I think, you know, I've always enjoyed being entrepreneurial. Um, I, I know because I went to a conference and saw a slide on what are the character attributes of a psychopath, that I have some psychopathic <laughs> attributes as a leader, I quite like throwing hand grenades into a room to find out, you know, what happens and then sort of helping put everything back together again. But the senior leadership team and all of the staff at AOK Events just got behind the plan and brilliantly came up with the most fantastic and creative and innovative solutions to our clients needs not just around Christmas but about well-being around how you kept in touch with your clients um, around how you onboard new starters around what you do with graduates and, and we're still and we're still doing lots and lots and lots of that now yeah. 
you know, even though, and we, and, and it, it helped us find a niche. And I'm, and I'm loath to write an article on LinkedIn, which I use as a bit of a platform to, you know, vent off a bit of steam to say, COVID's the best thing that's ever happened to us. But it's definitely not the worst thing that's ever happened. Yeah, I think that's, that's, I think that's true of many businesses, you know, and I think that, that I was speaking to, to a client of ours who were doing some, some marketing and lead gen stuff for, and he said exactly the same, you know, I spotted we 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 you know he's owns his own studio down in Bristol and he's obviously got he's very well set up for, for for doing virtual stuff, and he said he he saw it coming very very quickly even before March last year he saw the the idea of particularly hybrid events being something you know that was was going to be more environmentally sustainable etc cetera, etc cetera, and and therefore he was already pivoting towards that but he said you know. He's had a, he's really relatively speaking he's had an amazing uh, 2020 beginning and 2021, and I, so I know of of the virtual events you did you obviously did the 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 virtual wine tastings which uh, I mean we again another one of our clients um, mix and twist up in Lees they they did virtual cocktail parties but I the, the kind of idea of a virtual wine uh, wine tasting kind of it's fine when you're just drinking wine but if you're doing a tasting how on earth did they work? Um. Well, each customer, so I think we organised 160-odd virtual wine tastings uh, in Q3 and Q4 last year. The, the Very simple. But the one thing that we recognised, uh, in fact, uh, our, our kind of head of creative, Dan Wheeler, and I stumbled across last summer that the power during lockdown of someone knocking on your front door, you answering it, and somebody giving you a bottle of wine to say thank you, some flowers, some fruits, some cheese was really powerful. So we created some products that involved sending stuff out to people. And, and, and that's turned into a whole gifting and fulfillment service that, 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 that we now offer to our clients. We've got to send out two and a half thousand hampers over the course of the next three weeks as part of Christmas campaigns for people that aren't having live and are saying thank you via that instead. But with wine, it's very simple. You send your clients or your staff six half bottle or, you know, a quarter bottle or full bottle uh, of wine, some cheese and some biscuits to go alongside it with some instructions to keep the white wine refrigerated, red wine at room temperature, then dial in to, to, to Zoom at, or, or Teams at six o'clock on a particular evening. And then after that, it, it's down to the, the host to ensure that the that it is as engaging as possible, and, and and I think the thing that we've recognised with virtual events is that virtual events are exactly the same as live events. If if the content's boring and dry, it doesn't matter if it's live or virtual; it's still going to be a rubbish event. But if the content is fun and innovative and engaging, and I certainly think with with virtual events, if they're participative. Um, then you know, people are less likely to kind of turn the video off and disappear off and you know kind of put the kettle on. Um, I know we we recorded each of the wine tastings and, and whilst they were all supposed to last an hour and a half, the average length over 160 wine tastings that we did last year, the average length of each wine tasting was two hours 20 minutes. Wow. And even and even though our sommelier left after an hour and a half because he or she was kind of contracted to kind of last that long and they, they normally stayed on for a little bit later people just liked chatting to their clients 
with a glass of wine and a bit of gorgonzola, just like we've all been doing since the year dot. Mm. Uh, and, and in the absence of doing it in a pub or a five-star hotel or at Twickenham or Wimbledon, it was the next best thing. And so much feedback was, do you know what? That just felt a bit like being down the pub. Yeah, you know, and having a glass or two, and a you know, after a few glasses, you know, a few of the old stories came out, a bit of banter, actually genuine laughter, a bit of you know, rib tickling and poking fun at various people, you know, it, it and 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 so many clients just rebooked and made the monthly events for for clients, and and again, this are still doing this Christmas. Yeah. And tell me also, I mean, I was having a look through the events that you had done in, in, in well, it wasn't quite lockdown, but it was sort of close to lockdown, was the, was the Langer Rock Kids Club, which sounded fantastic. Yeah, so um, Langer Rock have been brilliant clients of ours for nearly, nearly 15 years, uh, know them really well, but I was introduced to their head of well-being um, back in February, and um, she mentioned that they were doing as much as they possibly could for their staff uh, around well-being, and the feedback was fantastic. Thank you. You know, all, all help gratefully received. But like all of us with children who were at school, trying to juggle your professional life whilst homeschooling children, particularly young children, was was really difficult. And and they had a number of their employees had that demographic whereby their children were kind of between the five and thirteen category. So you couldn't just leave them to get on with their schoolwork. You had to kind of do it with them. As a result of which, Langerock noticed that their employees were working at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, replying to emails, because the only way they could do their day job was starting it after their kids had had tea and bath time and had gone to bed. So we came up with this idea whereby over a two week half term at the end of February, um, that we created it came from my idea of i don't know if you remember what he um in the summer holidays when we were much younger than we are now watching why don't you and there was this program on that started at 9 30 till 12 30 and it kind of gave you ideas of stuff to do during the summer holidays was it why don't you get off your ass and do something less boring instead no, that's i think right. it was the full name of the program yeah so we came up with this this virtual kids club and from I think it was nine o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the evening. There were eight one hour uh, activities um, targeted to different age groups. So from nine o'clock till 10 o'clock, it was storytelling uh, for the five to seven year olds. And, um, and, and, and within uh, two days of launching this to Lang O'Rourke's employees, all 10 of those uh, storytelling slots had sold out. Um, so, 50 children at each of them. And we had two actors on the call, a boy and a girl. Uh, and they started telling a story and we knew that the children would lose interest really quickly, particularly over Zoom. So after three minutes of storytelling, you know, our, our hosts were instructed to tell all the children, right, go and get your best fancy dress because we can't continue the story until you're all wearing fancy dress. So then everybody took five minutes and turned up as Ronaldo, a princess, a mermaid, a dinosaur, a spider, etc., etc. Continued the story. Right now, you've got to draw a picture, you know, of a castle, and, and then everybody drew a picture of a castle. Uh, but 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 by three o'clock in the afternoon, we were doing hip hop dance classes, 
And at four o'clock, we were doing pottery. And at five o'clock, we finished with musical bingo. Mum and dad joined. The whole family were dancing around the kitchen to ABBA, you know, Dexy's Midnight Runners, Kanye West, you know, whoever it is. Um, and the feedback that they got, you know, was, um, you know, was, you know, was, it was just, you know, it was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Job. And yeah. we genuinely felt that we were doing something that was really helping, you know, one of our most important clients, employees during what was a really hard time for all of us. Yeah. Just amazing, amazing to come up with that idea is, is, is you know, I guess if you're as old as you and I, then it's easier to remember those sort of, you know, going back to play school and Jack and Ori, I guess. But, it, you know, but even so to come up with it, with the concept was, is amazing. And I have to say, having having looked through a lot of the stuff that you've you've done and, and clearly, you know, you'd almost classify yourself as an elder statesman of the events industry now, I guess. Uh, but I've been really you know, we, we've talked a lot about this in terms of employer engagement and about how important post-COVID this is going to be for so many companies, so many of your clients, um, but within the events industry too, and about how they use events and, and you know, engage with their um, uh, workforce and keep them happy. And, and, you know, as you said, you know, you spoke to the wellbeing director. I don't think there would have been a wellbeing director on the planet about five years ago. So all that stuff has changed completely. And I, I, I know you know, you've, you've done your insights report too, but also your future leaders. I think that's just an amazing idea. Was that born out of the whole redundancy thing or was that was there something that you wanted to, to give back? Um, yeah, no, uh, maybe a, a little bit of both. Uh, so many people at AIK Events have just massively stepped up over the, over the last 20 months. And whilst we have a brilliant kind of senior leadership group, all of those kind of heads of departments had got great number twos. And maybe because of COVID, we've taken employee well-being more seriously, which is a great thing for AIK Events. So we've started sending out more well-being surveys. We've had maybe more one-to-one -one kind of feedback sessions and, and kind of, uh, you know, employee um you know, just three monthly reviews to see kind of how everybody's getting on. And, and kind of everybody in the company said, we're absolutely loving working at AOK events at the moment. And we're really excited about kind of the career prospects for us, you know, moving forwards. So I, I kind of felt quite passionately that, um, you know, this future leader program gives the, the kind of the, the number twos in the first six months of next year, but then an, another group of five or six people in the second six months of next year, the opportunity to learn more about AIK events um, kind of financially, um, to, to, to get a real understanding of what, you know, it takes to run a business from an overheads point of view, P&L, EBITDA, you know, all, all of these things that you only learn about once you run um, your own business, but to give them a career path that retains them within the business if you know if we possibly can um and makes them feel part of the sort of you know part of the air events family um and we're yeah no you know we, we started in in january um and it's not just me telling people stuff which everybody's very you know grateful for we've got some a trainer coming from outside um you know as well um and it, and it should be but it should be really good fun and the insights report. I mean, I, I, I have to. I, I read it originally when Mike sent it to me way back 
Um, but you know, I, I reread it again the other day, and I and I just thought to myself, it's just so. It was apt then. It's even more apt now. And and I I think was this a sort of LinkedIn rant or was it, it what 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 possessed you to 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 produce it? Um, I think that. Well, and it's not all my own idea. We um, have been working with a PR company over the last four months um, with a very clear brief of, I think more than ever, ARK events have been through such an extraordinary 20-month journey um, that we want to get our story out to, you know, the wider world, you know, as best we can. And how do we do that in a kind of non-show-offy way? And um, PR firm Triggerfish, uh, who've been excellent uh, yeah, with me, came up with the idea. So Andrew and I kind of came up with the idea of writing a white paper based on AOK events client feedback about the material changes in events from a pre and post, you know, COVID world and, and sharing that with the outside community, you know, to, to help people in decision making, you know, in, in terms of planning their events you know, for 2022, learning from our experience and from our, you know, um, mis mistakes as well. And it also being a little bit of a platform upon which we sort of build a one-year business plan for the business moving forwards as well. Mm. I have to say, I would, I would urge, if you haven't read it, um, I would urge everyone to read it because it is, it's, 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 as I said, it's a really well-written, well-thought-out um, uh, piece. Um, just a slight change of text. So obviously the, the, the hospitality world, sports hospitality world, you know, the, the, the Twickenham, the Wimbledons, the Ryder Cups, et cetera, was where you started there, okay. What do you think the impact of the last 20 months is going to be? I mean, I, I know we, 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 kind of, we kind of feel like we're back to normal, but as I was reading just this morning, it, it may feel like that, but we're still not there yet. What, what impact do you think it's going to have on, on the likes of your adventures at Twickenham and so on? Um. I, from personal experience rather than from corporate experience, my, my family, the, the, the worst thing about COVID was that there was an 18-month vacuum of us, the Hewitt family, not creating any brilliant memories. Yeah. No holiday, overseas holidays, and whether that's France or Antigua, you know, it doesn't matter, really, so no overseas holidays, can't go and watch Chelsea play last year. My wife and I love going to Wimbledon every year. So that, that just kind of that absolute vacuum of being able to make memories was, you know, that really hurt. So I think when live sport and music came back in the summer of this year, um, we as a family, but mirrored by the number of inquiries that we got as a business, you know, the number of inquiries improved enormously because people was suddenly given the green light by Boris that you could go to Wimbledon or Twickenham or Stamford Bridge or, or, or Lords and, and that it was safe to do so. Uh, and I think, you know, next year, people will be keen to continue to make memories, whether it's through work or, or in, in your personal life, whether that's going to a gig or a, or, or a sporting event. Hopefully parties are going to come back in some sort of normality you know, next year as well. But the question was kind of about, you know, hospitality. I, I think hospitality will be very popular next year, but I do think that rights holders um, still need to concentrate on 
making their customer as safe as possible when they turn up to their um, events and it shouldn't just be a box ticking exercise and i think it's absolutely so true and i think as we as we fluctuate through you know rising and falling case numbers and rising and falling numbers of deaths i think you're right i think people can't just assume that it's going to go back to the way it was two years ago it just isn't going to go back there and and people you know rightly or wrongly and i don't you know i'm, I'm not suggesting either way are going to want to feel that word safe and, and that's that's the most important thing about it yeah and I, and I think all of us in in the events industry have a you know if if we don't take some personal responsibility for making sure that our clients are safe then we're going to be partly responsible for the one thing that would be the worst case scenario which would be for live events now that just after they've started coming back again you know stopping because we're because we're back in lockdown so i think you know we you know still as a business we don't really want to have more than eight employees in our offices out of 20 on a single day only two people in a pod just in order to try and you know keep as safe as possible and, and we're all we're all sort of quite enjoying working from home two or three days a week but but everybody's saying those two days back in the office those are our two best days at the week because it's in the events industry you can't you can't brainstorm and idea generate and sense check anywhere near as effectively via zoom than you can when you can just shout out something in an office and two or three people throw you an idea no, i totally agree with you so just as I thought, you, you said the other day, you put a post out saying that you were t- 21 years old, which is obviously not you personally, A-OK. What, if it stopped tomorrow, what do, you, what do you reckon your greatest achievement, both personally and as a business, uh, what do you reckon your greatest achievements in the last 21 years have been? Um, that's a very good question, which I haven't prepared for, so I'm going to have to far fight that answer. Um, I, I think, you know, from a, from a corporate, from a professional point of view, our greatest achievement probably is that we've never let anyone down. Um, I, I, can, I can honestly say that of the, I think we, somebody worked out that we've organized 25,000 events over the, you know, 21 years. Uh, we've never let anyone down. You know, occasionally the white wine's been warm and the red wine's been cold. You know, Father Christmas has been ill on the day of the, you know, children's panto. There's an element of stuff that's gone wrong. I can tell you all sorts of stories about, you know, real disaster, but none of it's been our fault. It's just been stuff that's... We'll get on the disasters. Kind of, you know, kind of happened. So I think, you know, I I can honestly say, well, we've never let a client down. And um, we, as a business, have made lots and lots of friends along the way. And uh, no, I tell you what, and people trust us. Yeah. You know, I, I think in our industry trust is absolutely everything and i think if there was one thing that i was most proud of now that i've had one minute to think of my answer it's that our clients trust us because i think that's the greatest accolade as an event organizer that you can have um and and personally i would say you know sat here in our office today the the 20 employees that i currently employ are the 20 or 19 most brilliant event people that I've ever had the fortune of working with. I'm not just saying it. The last 19 months has been, or 20 months has it really has been a, an absolute roller coaster. I go out and have a glass of wine or a beer with 
any of them at lunchtime today and I know that I'd have a great time and they all work there, you know, they're kind of absolute hardest for the company and all of them, I wouldn't say skip to work on a Monday morning, but I, I reckon all of them, if they were in the pub on a Sunday night with their friends, um, they would say that they, that they enjoy going to work and I'm proud that I've created an environment and a culture that allows people who rely on me to pay their rent or mortgage, you know, each month, do it and enjoy it at the same time rather than do it begrudgingly. Yeah, I think that's that's an incredible achievement um, for anyone uh, over whatever length of time. And 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 sort of on that note, if you were, you know, if you were meeting someone who was just setting out like you were way back when on the events thing and want to set up their own business, what would what would be the one bit of advice you might give them? Um, well, we all have to start somewhere, you know. So if you get an opportunity in the events world, it could be pot washing in a kitchen. It could be answering the telephone at a venue. Just grab any opportunity you can to get a foot on the on the ladder. It's a hugely sociable, um, you know, environment. The events industry, and before six months, you'll have met dozens and dozens of people and built up a network that will allow you to kind of navigate, you know, your way into the to the field of expertise that you think that that, that you that you belong in. Uh, and, you know, I think, you know, just be nice to people, treat people the way that you wanted to be treated, you know, yourself, you know, you don't need a degree in physics or mathematics to be a, a great seller of events or organiser of events, which really are the, the only two roles in, in, in the events industry. There, of course, there are marketing and HR, and I apologise to anybody that I've upset, but it, at its bare instance at, at an agency, you know, you've got people that, that, that create and sell great events and organize great events and you know just you know no shortcuts no shortcuts be honest with your clients they'll, they'll understand it when stuff goes wrong if you don't lie and try and sweep stuff under the carpet um and, and have fun along the way because none of us go into the events industry for the money we go there because it's more fun probably than selling greenhouses or pensions um and um, if, if you're lucky, then, you know, you'll get to watch a Rugby World Cup final or, you know, we've got a gig coming up with Sophie Ellis-Bexter in a week or two. And a couple of people from the company will be able to go along to that and, and tell, tell their mates that that's what they did on a Thursday night rather than staying late on a, you know, M&A deal. Yeah. God, and that, isn't that the truth? Yeah. And I would, I would agree with that. You know, I've been to some amazing things over the last... God, nearly 30 years doing this, you know, Ryder Cups and, as you say, World Cup finals and Open Championships and you name it. Um, so just away from the business for a second, um, I note that, uh, scrolling through your Instagram feed, that you're also a little bit of a, like myself, a little bit of a trendsetter, and that uh, before COVID, uh, you bought yourself uh, an outside uh, wood-fired oven, which I, which I did myself as well. Is, is this... Is this uh, Alex Hewitt, the, the great outdoor chef? I mean, obviously, going back to your pub days, obviously you can cook, but is this a, is this a sort of specialist area for you? I absolutely love cooking uh, and uh, love, uh, you know, home, homemade pizza when you buy. I've got three boys, all teenagers now. Um, that is the ultimate home-cooked uh, food. But actually, I think that whole environment of having a cold beer or glass of wine, family all outside, little bit of music playing, whether it's family or friends, um, you know, we all need to, 
you know, kind of um, switch off a little bit at the weekend. So if it's not on the golf course or on a cricket pitch, I, I would say, you know, having some decent home cooked food uh, and something nice to drink uh, on a warm, sunny day uh, or, or winter's day, you know, that's as, that's as much fun. Uh, as, I, as I think you can, as I think you can have. I would entirely agree. With three teenage boys, I think you couldn't possibly make enough pizza in one sitting, could you? Well, the good news is that one of those home fights, I reckon I can cook a pizza in about thirty seconds. So it does take about two hours to get the pizza oven that hot, but you can you can get through an awful lot of pizza um, quite quite quickly. But no, love love pizzas, love barbecue, um, and uh, yeah, any excuse to be outside rather than indoors, uh, you know, I, I think. And that the great thing about COVID was don't want to talk about COVID anymore, but you know, everyone rediscovered their love of walking. You know, running, cycling, being outdoors, the great outdoors. And families. Uh, and, and, and their family. Never spent so much time with my family. And, and we did so and we did so really happily. But yeah. you know, you I would entirely to... agree. We, exactly the same as you. We completely took my eldest two, my girls, completely rediscovered each other, which was lovely. My 14-year-old boy grew a foot. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, I mean, quite literally, he grew a foot. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we spent a lot of time, I mean, that lovely weather outside and, um, and drinking and eating and all sorts, of, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, I, I know on your sporting prowess. I mean, you must, you know, summer of 2020 must have been miserable for you. Probably few visits to Hankley Common, and even fewer. Is it the is it the Mogador Wanderers, you, the, your home club? Yeah, one of the great wandering cricket clubs. Who my uh, my dad played for before me, and my sons play for uh, now. Um, there was a little bit of cricket last year. I think you were allowed to play cricket again from mid-August onwards. So we got about six games in at the back end of last season. But the, the terrible bit about last year was that tees weren't allowed. Um, and, you know, being a fat middle-aged man, you know, the great joy of playing cricket on a Sunday afternoon is after you've been in the field for two and a quarter hours, you know, tucking into an egg mayonnaise sandwich and a oh. nice scone and jam. So there was none of that. You know, no showers afterwards. So, you know, it was a little bit, you know, it wasn't quite the experience that you kind of want, but it was just so great to be with your mates, um, you know, playing the sport that you love again. And, you know, that banter that you can only get from sport yeah. that is absolutely unique. And it doesn't matter how bad or good you are at sport. The ability to do something as part of a team of people and whether you win, lose or draw, you know, that shared experience, that moment where the hairs on the back of your neck stand up on end, that was so welcome after death by Zoom that we'd all gone through from March the 17th onwards. Yes. So any, any opportunity to play cricket, golf, five-a-side football, I started playing again a little bit with my 19-year-old who's just started working at AOK events. Um, any, any opportunity to play sport again, rediscover that absolute love of, Playing some, playing a sport that you love with your friends or family, um, you know, and don't don't retire from anything because you're too long retired. Yeah, you're a long time looking at the lid, as my my father once said to me, which is uh, never never a truer word said. So just um, it's been fantastic to chat with you, and I, I was, I've been looking forward to this. Um, I have to say, ever since you agreed to do it, I, delving into your past as as always as has been uh, extremely interesting. And as I said to you earlier, there's obviously some things that are unprintable. But uh, the, the, the last two questions for you is, in all the time, and this includes expertise as well, in all the time you've been doing events, what, 
is, is there one event that you would say stood out for you as the absolute you know number one you've you so proud of it and it worked well and the people were happy and so on and so forth um yeah there was i thought long and hard about this and if you cast your mind back to december 2010 we organized a very big party for a very large american it firm i shan't say who they are but everybody will have heard of them yeah and uh we hired uh heaven nightclub uh, out on the embankment, 700 people. We had Pet Shop Boys uh, playing live uh, as our kind of uh, entertainment. We had um, brilliant caterers all booked up. And then on the morning of the event, um, the student riots broke out in London. I don't know if you remember, but every bridge in London was closed by the oh, police. Yes. Yeah. And none of our AV trucks, catering trucks, furniture trucks were able to get from south of the river to north of the river in order to bring everything in to deliver arguably the most important event of the year for our, one of our biggest customers, VIP clients. And so the company, and 10 years ago, there might have been 12 of us. We all had to down tools in our offices in Hammersmith, um, get a bus south of the river to meet all of these trucks that were stuck on various bridges. And over a period of six hours, 12 of us with the drivers had to carry every flight case, um, chafing dish, table, chair, everything over London bridges into Heaven nightclub. Uh, one member of staff was booking freelancers to meet us at Heaven so that when everything turned up, we had to turn around and go and get the next bunch of kit. Um, and in order to be ready for a 6.30 p.m. start, and as guests turned up at Heaven nightclub, which I don't know if you can remember it, I'm sure you're probably a, a, a you know a member there. We used to be in the, in the days, Watty. Uh, it's underneath the arches, you know, and we we had a red carpet where guests turned up. Where on the the north side of the red carpet there were 500 students all gathered, and on the south side of the carpet that we had there were 100 police gathered, and in the, we had to persuade the police to allow our guests to go through their like barricade in order to get into Heaven nightclub. Meanwhile, another member of the staff was going out and bribing the students with beer, the greatest currency of all, <laughs> to students to not charge the police until after 7.30, by which time we <laughs> thought all, all of our guests had arrived. So we managed to get all of our guests into Heaven nightclub uh, shut the doors, after which all hell broke out outside Embankment Tube Station, but we didn't care. And so all of the canapes, all of the bars were set up, and at about 10 o'clock, 10.30, West End Boys was playing, West End Girls, sorry, got them old, West End Girls was playing, you know, as part of Pet Shop Boys Encore, 700 people, arms in the air, all dancing, you know, and our client, just kind of looked over us and said, oh my God, you've smashed it again. And we told her only then 
you know, what had happened during the day. And, you know, her mouth was absolutely kind of, you know, just absolute wide open, couldn't believe, you know, what, what, what we'd done. And, and it, says, think, it says a lot about events, people, though, doesn't it? I mean, that's, you know, you just down tools and just go for it. You know, in, in when, when, the, when the proverbial hits the fan, you've, correct. you've got to get out of it. You've got to find a way. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And, and that other piece of advice to somebody starting off is, you know, you, you've got to have, it, there's no point, even me now, just getting on with CEOs of clients. You've got to get on with the cleaner and the bouncer at a venue just as much as you have with the CEO of a, of a multinational. You've got to have the common touch, but you've also got to be confident enough to be able to talk to anyone. Um, you, you've got to be able to get on with anyone. And, and, and I don't think, I think there are many event companies that would have done exactly the same thing as we had to. And I think the unique thing about all the best event management companies um, in the UK is that when the proverbial hits the fan, you, you find a way to delight, to delight your client as best you possibly can. Um, and, and, and those are the events when you look back, actually, that you know, you're, the mo you're most proud of. Yeah, I think of the best bit of advice I've ever been given is, is, you know, you have to explain to your client that at some stage there is a very good chance, because events are not perfect, that something will go tits up. Uh, it's yeah. just how you deal with everyone surrounded that event and as you say from the cleaner to the doorman to the client to the to the you know your staff to freelancers it's how you deal with that and how you bring it all together I think that's so true yeah absolutely so I'm guessing that underneath I mean if I mean that story in heaven clearly skin of your teeth type stuff but there must have been some that looking back possibly haven't gone that well that maybe you're able to laugh about now uh, yes, we organised a, uh, there are two, two that come to mind, uh, a big law firm asked for a drinks reception uh, on the River Thames, uh, and I found a boat and a DJ sent off a booking form, client signed it off, and I, I told Joe and Simon that I was busy the night of the event and that they had to go and run it. And when they turned up at Embankment Pier, the boat that I had hired, in their words, looked like a Grimsby trawler. <laughs> and the DJ that turned up was this overweight, tattooed, chain-smoking, um, kind of early drum and bass-loving uh, mafiosi who played the worst music ever, he had a T-shirt with food and drink stains down it. And our Magic Circle law firm, you know, they were, they were distinctly unimpressed uh, by that. So that was in the early years. Um, the other story that I remember is that I was asked to find a speaker, uh, two speakers for a big leadership conference run by a large management consultant. And during the day, uh, uh, we had, uh, I, so General Colin Powell had done a brilliant talk to 350 chief execs um, about leadership um, from the battlefield to the boardroom, a lesson in leadership. I can still remember the title, Standing Ovation. And in the evening, we'd hired the Royal Academy. And my brief was to find a speaker that would uh, appeal to a pan-European um, you know, audience, um, money no object. And so we'd flown over Sir Peter Ustinov from his home in wow. Geneva. 
ago, one of the great raconteurs, yeah. uh, tennis lover. Uh, he had just written his own uh, opera that was being premiered uh, in Munich later that year. Film star, author, you know, well-known by the royal family, Oscar winner, etc., etc. Multilingual. And, Correct, multi, yeah, the, the, exactly. And when he stood up, uh, you know, and I was already basking in the glow of reflected glory of General Colin Powell. Um, the first words that he that he said were, I've got absolutely no idea what I'm doing here. The event organiser, Alex, hasn't told me what he wants me to talk about. And there was absolute silence in the room um, and, and tragically, he got Alzheimer's. Um, and, in, and in between booking him and, and meeting him uh, and the event taking place, he'd become terribly poorly. Um, and actually, it was our client that stood up and said, well, you know, did you watch, the, you know, today at Wimbledon earlier, you know, what did you think of John McEnroe's doubles performance? And he, he, he able to answer a few questions. But I mean, that was, I, I mean, literally, I, I slid down the floor into a heap in the corner of the room and thought that my world had absolutely caved in. I, it was the most embarrassed I think I've ever been in wow. my 51 years. I mean, I mean, that's a truly terrible story. I mean, really terrible story. I mean, uh, he, he's, I think he's died now, Peter Yusnoff, hasn't he? he? Sadly, yeah, he died 10 he years was, ago. I have, so I was such a huge fan of his. I mean, he was, you know, from Evil Under the Sun to, to Murder on the Orient Express to... You know, to, to some of the after dinner speeches that he's made, he was just a hysterical, hysterical man. Um, listen, Alex, it's been a complete pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for coming on Eventful Life, uh, and no doubt we will catch up very soon. Thank you very much for having me. Wow, what a fantastic guest Alex was! Uh, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Uh, we'll be back next week. Mike will be with me, so that's something to look forward to. Uh, and until then, have a very good week. And if there's anything that you've heard on the podcast that you would like to discuss with anyone at Kershaw Partners, uh, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Thanks for your company.